Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 373. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M, and this is the first of two Marvel Comics end-of-the-year celebration episodes with me and editor-in-chief, C.B. Sobolski. This episode, we're going to run down about half of the year's comics and talk a bunch about CB's first year as the big dog. Next week, we'll finish the chat. But with that being the case, we don't have any real big news. Record scratch. Biggest news of the week is here, and it really isn't news, so maybe the record scratch is sort of like a gentle record scratch. Uh, it's about a big release, because the final chapter of Marvel's Spider-Man, The City That Never Sleeps, is out this week. It's Marvel's Spider-Man Silver Lining. The final DLC chapter for the game features three new suits, and into the Spider-Verse suit, Cyborg Spidey, and the Aaron Aikman Spider Armor. My favorite, maybe of the whole game, is this Cyborg Spidey suit. It's such a deep cut. It is from an early 90s adjectiveless Spider-Man comic. It is actually issue number 21. You can see him wearing it on the cover, part of the Revenge of the Sinister Six arc, which I loved. I reread that story arc over and over and over as a kid. And this big, bombastic Eric Larson art. It was so fun, so cool. I'm just give you a little uh, bonus suggestion. Read issue number 17. It's the issue right before Revenge of the Sinister Six. It's an issue in which Spidey dies and then hangs out with Thanos and Death. Whew. Anyway, Marvel Spider-Man Silver Lining is a cool story. Has Silver Sable in it. Dig it. It's out now. Enjoy it. Now, on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. First up, Doctor Strange, Herald of Galactus. That's a thing. New story coming to the comic, which I love, love, love. You can hear me talk about it every time an issue comes out on Marvel's The Pull List. But you have to go to marvel.com to see the amazing art. We have a cover by Jesus Saiz, one of the artists on the book. And it is so sweet. Coming in March 2019 is something I'm really jazzed about. It's Marvel's Spider-Man City at War a six-issue Marvel comic series that takes the amazing characters from Marvel Spider-Man exclusively for PlayStation 4, including Spidey, Mary Jane, Aunt May, Norman Osborn, Otto Octavius, Miles Morales, and more, and they tell the story of the game, but present all new story moments never seen in the game and bonus behind-the-scenes content. Super cool. This is written by Dennis Hopeless, wonderful, wonderful writer, art by Michele Bandini with a cover by Clayton Crane, and Clayton, you know, he drew that dope Spider-Geddon I'm sorry, Spider-Man, number zero story featuring the world of Marvel Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. Uh, there are some really cool variant covers for the book, including one by Marvel Games' own art director, Tim Sang, who's just a great dude. I want to make sure I gave him a shout out. And really cool bit of info that was in the solicits. This is just the beginning. There will be more original stories on the way set in the world of Marvel's Spider-Man. Check out more art and info on Marvel.com. Also, check out the news story on Marvel.com for Meet the Skrulls. It's an interview with writer Robbie Thompson, and it's a series I'm very excited about. It's about the Warner family, who are actually a bunch of Skrulls in disguise working to take over the world. It's going to have art by Nico Heinrichon, and it's going to be really cool. But the interview is a lark. That's all the hype stuff we have, but I uh, want to make sure we let you guys know that the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pull List are... Defenders, The Best Defense, number one. Marvel Superhero Adventures, Captain Marvel, Frost Giants Among Us, number one. Runaways, number 16. And Seasons Beatings, number one. Uh, you can hear all about these 
when you subscribe to Marvel's Pull List, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, big shout out and thanks to Lorraine Sink, co-host of Earth's Mightiest Show and Marvel's Runaway Season 2 After Show, the podcast which drops today. And uh, yeah, it's going to be great, along with the entire season of Marvel's Runaways Season 2 on Hulu. Y'all, you're going to be watching and listening and having so much fun. Before we get into our big conversation with Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief C.B. Cebulski, want to give a thanks to our advertiser this episode, Marvel Strike Force. Of course, you've heard us talk about it before, but Marvel Strike Force is the Hero Collection RPG, and they continue to host great events and add tons of new and exciting characters. You can download the game and launch it back up right now to join the Brotherhood of Mutants event. It's got all new characters, including Mystique, Juggernaut, Sabretooth, Pyro, and more, and they're joining forces to try and unlock the all powerful Magneto. For those who have not tried the game, Marvel Strike Force lets you form squads of heroes and villains to go head-to-head with other players worldwide in this action-packed, visually stunning, free-to-play game for your phone or tablet. It's got groundbreaking gameplay cinematics, and with that, your heroes unleash dynamic chain combos and team-ups with a single tap. Those look awesome when they get unleashed. Marvel Strike Force is available in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store, so download it now for free. Marvel Strike Force, heroes only. Download today. All right, with that out of the way, let's talk to CB. Hello, merry, mighty Marvelite. Yes. There's so many adjectives that start with M that we could use to talk about our fans. You know, one of the things that I love is we're going to get into so much about this year, but with the Fantastic Four coming back, I like how... Tom and Alana have put the old foom yeah. and the mms and all our, our old acronyms, acronyms at the bottom. Yeah. It just makes me happy. Yeah. You know, as, as we look to the future and build the present, we always have to reflect back upon the past because that's where our history started. And we all respect that. And we're all here because of it. Heck yeah. Okay, CB, first thing I want to ask is what comes to mind when I say Marvel Comics in 2018? I think growth is a good word. You know, growth in... The line of books, growth in the marketplace, growth of our editorial team, and personal growth for me, you know, as an editor and as the new editor-in-chief and coming into this position. I like that. So we're going to get fully into 2018 shortly, but uh, this also serves as a bit of a one-year check-in with you as editor-in-chief. It's like a a year and a couple days, actually. What was it like? Your first day, the first month, over the course of the year? Well, what does that feel like? It was (laughs) mind-boggling, and I still wake up every day pinching myself that I have to go and come and do this job. It's just incredible. It's something I remember wanting, you know, since I was a kid. And you never think it's going to happen, you know. And this circumstances which I took this job were just really surprised as well, you know. And coming in that first day, I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders. Wow, I am the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. Looking at the people who had come before me, the legacy of the editor-in-chiefs, the 80-year the history that Marvel have, and knowing that I was going to be at the reins and taking control of the amazing editorial team here and this line of books and this amazing universe of characters, it was daunting, but one that I still go to with a smile on my face every day and go to bed at night with a smile every day knowing that I've done my best to live up to the legacy of these characters. Yeah. We've been friends for a long time, so every once in a while I'll just pop down to your office just to say hi, and it always delights me. I'll come down, and I'll start playing with a toy or something you have on your table but you'll be like doing work you're just like a smile on your face it's no bs it is really nice and welcoming to see as just someone who knows you who knows 
that there's joy in what you do, which yeah. is wonderful. And that's the amazing thing about coming into these halls, you know, I think for all of us too. Not every day is perfect, but at the end of the day, you know, not only do we have the best coworkers in the world, the people we actually work with physically in this office, but we also work with Spider-Man or Peter Parker, Tony Stark, <laughs> Steve Rogers, the Hulk. These are our coworkers as well. And when you have a bad day, there's always someone there in physical form <laughs> or print form to lift our spirits. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Can you point to your first big book of 2018 that you really felt deeply involved in? You know, we plan so far out and, you know, you've been at these creative retreats. I've been at the creative retreats for many, many, many years now. And so a lot of stuff is planned a year to, to 18 months out. And, you know, when I came in November 2017, a lot of things were set. What's been come to be known as the Fresh Start Initiative was up and rolling. You know, the first books were in production. Some of the creative teams have been decided. And it was just an exciting time to be a part of all that from the ground up in the creative retreats, but then be the, the editor-in-chief that was going to oversee kind of continuing to build that line and, and uh, you know, release those books. There's a number of, of different projects that come to mind when this is, is, is happening. You know, and there's always the little decisions about changing a colorist or commenting on a cover sketch or something like that. The bigger decisions that, if I look back on those early days, was uh, working with Donny Cates and Devin Lewis, the editor, to finalize Ryan Stegman as the artist on Venom. And to work with Ryan to come up with a great inker who was going to pair him, J.P. Meyer. And I think that pairing has worked out quite well for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what an amazing title. Oh, my gosh. The second one was relaunching Deadpool. That book did not have a creative team just yet. I went to Scotty Young, who I'd known for almost 20 years. The one thing Scotty always wanted was to write Deadpool. And luckily, he had some time in his schedule. And the idea is to be able to make that book click with Nick Klein. When I first got the job and accepted it, I had a list, you know, creators I want to work with, people I want to bring back, books I want to launch, crazy ideas I had, and top of the list was Fantastic Four. It's the first family of Marvel, you know, it'd been off the shelves for about three years at that point. I knew we had to bring it back. Working with Tom Brevoort to, you know, get Dan Slott on board, to hear his ideas, to finalize Sarah Pichelli as the artist, to bring Esad on as the cover guy. It was just, that was the book when it came out in August. I was like, okay, this is the kind of book that I hope makes my first mark as the editor-in-chief and is a title of the quality and consistency that we're going to be able to live up to across the line on all the books. It is fitting. It is yeah. good. Yeah. You were talking about the creative retreats, the summits. How do you feel now running them? You know, like anything surprising for you just now being in a different position for these? For the creative retreats, the mandate is show up, be ready, be sharp, have ideas, be honest, because that's the most important part of that. And now there's an added level for me behind the scenes, which is kind of figuring out what we want to talk about, what we need in the publishing plan, talking to creators ahead of time, figuring out the schedule of who's going to talk when, taking notes. <laughs> and I'm not the best typist, so that doesn't work very well. And at night, not staying out late because in the morning you got to be fresh. I've got to prepare the talking points for the next day and really run the show. It's almost you're directing that symphony. You've got all these creative voices in that room. Bass that is Jason Aaron, you know, <laughs> with the string section that is Donny Cates, you know, with the vocals from like Kelly Thompson on the side and putting that all together to make sure that we have a plan. It's going to move forward in a, in a cohesive and coherent way. Yeah. You've done what? Three now? Three now. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Watching them getting smoother, tighter, just working, working, working. Because yeah. sometimes we've had experiences where these run crazy long yeah. or we get off track, whatever. Good ideas always come out of them. Yeah. But like you're finding a way to get them on track and keep everything rolling, which I find can be very difficult. Yeah. So 
kudos. Sometimes the harmonious retreats are not the best ones. It's like you want to throw out a couple bombs or have a little conflict or encourage and motivate the creators to question one another because that's where the best stories come from. You have to kind of have that spark where people are ready to talk against each other and express their own opinions. Even if it's not a popular opinion, it should be out there because sometimes by bringing up something that people may not like, it sparks other ideas that lead to a better story. Yeah. Obviously, before your editor-in-chief role, you know, you were on the talent management side, you were on the editorial side. How did those parts of your career influence how you approach and what you do as editor-in-chief? It's interesting. Wow. If you put all those pieces together, and it was Joe Casada who told me that I was a bad editor. <laughs> and that might seem not like a good thing to think about when you're the editor-in-chief, but it's a completely different role. And the reason I was a bad editor is because I always gave the creators the benefit of the doubt. I wasn't good with hitting deadlines or getting my books out on time. Looking back on my mistakes and my inability to meet deadlines and knowing what I had to do to get things out of my creators in a timely fashion or giving them benefit, too much of the benefit of the doubt made me realize from a macro level now how to manage the editors to do the exact same thing but be more timely deadlines but also give the, uh, the writers and the artists the benefit of the doubt by creating better scheduling systems, by planning out a little bit more, by figuring out who needs what and what works and what doesn't. The biggest benefit to what I'm doing now, I think, came from my time in talent management, working with Joe Q, working with David Bogart, working with the, all the editors over the years, and especially with Ricky Purden recently, our talent manager, because the first day I got here, what are you going to do? Tom Brevoort sent me an email. Okay, boss, you're in the chair. What's the plan? What's the mission statement? <laughs> and when I walked into that first retreat, people said, what's your vision? I said, I really don't have one, but I have two words. It was talent first. If the talent is respected, if the talent feels like this is their home, if you create great collaborations and you put them on projects that they feel that they're comfortable with and want to be working on, then you're going to get the best work out of them and the machine will run that much more smoothly. And still to this day, after one year here, I still think talent first has benefited us greatly and it's the motto that I continue to want us to live by because I think it shows in the quality of the products. The creators are happy, the books read and look great, and for the most part coming out on time. Yeah. We've planned this out really well because my next question is about talent. Is there talent that you've been exposed to or surprised by or just want to champion from Marvel Comics in 2018? Yeah, you know, I um, I was living in Asia for the last two years, so most of my you know exposure has been through reading our books digitally on Comixology, and I wasn't at the foreground of going out with Ricky and working with David Bogart, Dan Eddington, and getting new talent in the door, reviewing their portfolios as much. So for me, getting back in that saddle a little and be able to be work more hands-on with the talent management department, figuring out who are the best storytellers, who are the best cover artists, who are the best designers, has been fantastic, because that's what I really love, is kind of building the books from the ground up, starting mm -hmm. with training some of the younger talent. And there have just been some people who have come in recently that have really just amazed me. Juan Cabal, who got his start on X-23, is just an amazing talent. You talk about a mix of dynamics, the bold kind of old school Marvel, Kirby kind of jump off the panel dynamics of his art with the detail of guys like McNiven and Frank Quietly thrown in. This guy's a superstar in the making. And the fact that he's moving to Spider-Man now just shows the, the faith that we have in him. Matteo Lali is another guy I've been working with for many years in the talent management division, but who really is coming to his own on as Guardians of the Galaxy. Really, really just 
solid storytelling, the way he's rendering some of the figures and the faces. And it doesn't extend to just artists either. Some of the new colorists that have come in have really been blowing me away, like Chris O'Halloran, who's been doing yeah. some amazing work for us. Influence from like, Matt Wilson and Jordy, but also looks at some of the more dynamic guys like, like a Justin Ponzer takes the palette and really makes it pop. And the, the, he's a chameleon in it, different characters and different books he can do. It's been so wonderful to get back in that seat, not just as an observer who reads the books and go, hey, this guy's good, being to work with the team to say, hey, these guys are good. Let's make sure we manage their careers and get them on some better projects. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, I also want to think about creators to look out for in 2019. I'm thinking of creators like Teeny Howard yep. and Shauna McGuire, who has a, an enormous career in prose publishing, yep. but now is doing more with us, or Leah Williams. The new voices that are coming in through different places, it's really been you know refreshing to see. Like Leah Williams, you, you read that new um, X-Men Black White Queen one-shot that she did, the Emma yeah. Frost one. Wow, the, what she did in 20 pages to introduce a character, introduce a plotline, and then change a character so she was unrecognizable <laughs> from where she was at the beginning. Just a sign of a good quality writer who brings a refreshing voice to a, a book like that. Yeah, that's exciting. I want to dig into some releases of 2018. I went through chronologically, week by week, picking up some things. I apologize if I missed any because we put out a lot of comic books. Yep. But I'm just going to start running through and just whatever comes to mind as we talk about these books. All right. Rogan Gambit, number one. Obviously, Kelly Thompson, Harry Perez, yep. getting this couple together. And I do not like Gambit. I think he's a trash fire. There's just characters that don't appeal to you. I yeah. understand. I love Rogue. Yep. But Kelly and them, they've made me enjoy them as a couple and really started to turn a corner for me with Gambit. And the funny thing was about that book, which is why it has an extra special place, maybe in both our hearts, is that we knew where it was going <laughs> at the beginning when the book launched because that now infamous ex-wedding was mm -hmm. already in the cards. But Kelly has an utmost love for Gambit and Rogue. That's a book she wanted and she pitched and she fought for. That love and her knowledge of the history of those characters' relationships shows in almost every balloon of dialogue that she puts out because she writes them so well. You feel like you're watching this romantic comedy come to life and like you know these people, like you want to give them advice because you know it's not always going to go well, <laughs> but it's been a real fun book to read. Yeah. Rise of the Black Panther, which was cool because in a year where Black Panther was so big and important, we had a really great showcase yep. for the origins of Black Panther and Evan Narciss, who's the writer, he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and he had big shoes to fill because there were some amazing people who were writing Black Panther at the same time. ta Coates was doing, Roxane Gay came in there and did some amazing stuff. But Evan just stepped up and really brought his own voice to that and showed us parts of the Black Panther's history and his life that the other writers weren't. And to create such a successful title is, speaks volumes to his success. Yeah. When I was going through it, I was like, oh my gosh, that was this year. I was yeah. looking at Avengers... No Surrender, our weekly Avengers book, it started in January. Yeah. It feels like 10 years ago at I know. this point. To be able to run a weekly book is so difficult. The team of Round Robin writers that Tom Brevoort put together, you know, Zub, Wade, and Al, and just the consistency that he kept with the art. And every week it ended on a cliffhanger. There was chills and spills, and then the Hulk came back. Spoilers. <laughs> well, yeah, we should say, we're going to talk about spoilers here. Sorry, yep. but... All these books are available to read. Mm -hmm. True Believers, you got to read them. Great comics. And Mark Brooks on every cover. You know, that really <laughs> added to that feel. When you saw all the covers on the shelves at the comic shop all together, I mean, it just had that beautiful vibe to it. And they just popped off the shelf and made you want to pick it up. Heck yeah. Also, at the beginning of this year, Old Man Hawkeye, number one, yep. which 
I am so delighted because Ethan is a friend. We're both Wizard alum. Mm -hmm. He's had this great career as a, a journalist. And this is his first comic book project. Yeah. And it's so good. And then you got Marco Coquetto. It was just nuts. When Mark Miller and Steve created that Old Man Logan universe, a lot of people thought it was a done in one. And Ethan's just exploring the corners of that universe and opening it up so much more to other stories that, you know, just taking characters from the background of different places or characters that other fans might have written off when they read it, thinking, oh, they're never going to come back. And it's just been really, really interesting to see what he's done, you know, with the Venoms, with Bullseye, you know, and then, of course, with, with Hawkeye himself. Yeah. Ah, so good. Venom Inc. sort of finished at the beginning of the year, yep. which was cool because, one, we got Ryan Stegman, who we've talked about, mm -hmm. actually getting to do some Spidey and do some Venom and play around with that, which I'm, I imagine was sort of a little precedent to yes. what we were what yep. you were trying to do. It was a do. precursor. Where we were able, he was really able to show not his just stylistic ability to be able to handle some of those characters, but also just how passionate he was about bringing it to life and be able to hit the deadlines. Yeah, which is always good. <laughs> Speaking um, as the editor-in-chief. <laughs> Beginning of this year, we wrapped up Phoenix Resurrection, the return of Jean Grey, which I know you are a longtime huge X-Men fan. Huge X-Men fan, and Rosenberg really, you know, just with... The human side of the story, the mutant side of the story, the way that he wove everything from Jean's past back into her return. And people always expected, oh, she's the phoenix. She's going to come back. But, you know, it was Joe Q who always said, you know, dead is dead unless the writer has an, a beautiful idea on how to bring her back that makes sense. And Matt's idea made sense. I remember when he pitched that in the retreat. We had a lot of cosmic stuff this year. You mentioned As Guardians of the Galaxy. But was started early on with Infinity Countdown, yep. uh, which setting up the stones and, and Jerry's mind for cosmic weirdness is so good. Yeah. There were so many great artists on that book. The way that Aaron Cooter really drew, I just love his Drax. And the way he redesigned Groot in almost every issue based on the, the situations that they were in. I sometimes can't wrap my mind around everything cosmic. It's next to impossible, <laughs> you know? And Jerry just has this way to boil it down and make it understandable that's great storytelling yeah back to gene x-men red i'm a big tom taylor fan i love what he did with with laura and i love this team and gene at the forefront is so fun and of course laura and gabby and everything but those covers yeah those covers are so good jenny frisson travis charay like yep. wow that was editor mark panisha's idea i just want simple single character covers so when the reader looks at it they know who the character is and they're just these beautiful painted pieces that make people want to pick up the book and they did and then once people opened it i mean that story that tom taylor was telling was unexpected <laughs> but you know it wasn't an x-men book where they're at the mansion and everybody gets together and they fight this different kind of threat every issue he had it planned out as that entire story from issue one where they were going to go yeah I'm excited to see him on Spidey. That's going to be wait, so fun. Can't wait. I know. This year, uh, we said goodbye to a, a friend of ours at Marvel, Mr. Brian Michael Bendis. Yep. An incredible run, finishing up Defenders, his run on uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Jessica Jones, Iron Man, and just yep. so many of his things. It's I can't believe that was this year. Yeah. We've walked this path at Marvel together the entire time we've been here. I mean, my first job coming into Marvel as a associate editor was on Ultimate Spider-Man. It was in, in Ralph Macchio's office on that line. We have such a close relationship, both personally and professionally. But, you know, Brian 
said what he had to say at Marvel. He felt it was time to move on and nothing but respect for his desire to do that and loving everything he's doing, you know, outside of Marvel currently and wish him nothing but the best. We had a chance to catch up at New York Comic Con and it was like we, we just still click, you know, we're still friends, we still talk and, you know, we're still there for each other. Makes me happy. All right, moving on, Peter Parker 300 and, you know, Chip's run on mm-hmm. uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. And really, the thing that I thought was going to get put back in the bottle is Jonah knowing Spider-Man's identity. Yep. And that has been so cool to watch over this year. There are always writers who suggest changes to the Marvel Universe that you think, you know, we can't do that. Jonah can't know Spidey's identity. And then we have to ask ourselves a question, why not? And... Chip came to us with a great reason why and explained the story and offered how the genie could be put back in the bottle if we needed to. And it was going so well and it added such depth to their relationship and to the stories of all the people around them. And it's been one of those things like that we were initially bristle at, like, oh, no, we can't do that. <laughs> the, the old school fan you says, no, that can never happen. But then when you embrace the idea, you just come to accept it and really encourage it. Yeah. I don't even know how to preface it, but Mighty Thor – the death of the mighty Thor. We're going to get into War of the Realms later, but just yeah. Jason Aaron on Thor. My goodness. What an incredible run. It's a legacy on a character and a title that it stands up there on the bookshelves with all the other greats, you know? Not just in Thor, but across the Marvel Universe, you have those essential stories that you ever read. And the Jason Aaron, well, I guess it's trilogy now, <laughs> I guess what he's been doing. Yeah is one that people are never going to forget. He's put that character through the ringer and all the characters in the book through the ringer. I don't think I've cried more reading a comic than I have reading his run of Thor. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Also, he made the Mangog, who is a great Kirby design and wonderful, he made him terrifying, which is really cool. Him and and Russell and and Matt and all. All his co-creators over the whole course of that story, you know, from... From Esad, you know, straight through, and what you want Mike Damundo's doing now, they bring such a visual weight to what they're doing that it just adds to Jason's stories. Totally. Runaways, which I know you have a very soft spot yeah. for, I pinpointed number seven because I think that was really when they went and got Molly back, yep. when they were really coming together as a team right before they go to the hostel, start bringing in, you know, Julie comes in a couple issues later, yep. which I know another character you have a very soft spot for. Yep. Must make you happy to see Runaways doing so well. Since BKV, my jaw drops when I see what Rainbow is doing with these characters. <laughs> this is the best teen drama in any medium, I think, that's currently being released. Yeah. And then you have Chris Anka. I am astounded every issue by how beautiful it is. Yeah. Just jaw dropping, like gorgeous. And when Adrian Alfona was originally designing those characters when he was drawing the book, he wanted to feel like every character at some point, one, dressed like real teens, but also two, could feel like that they could walk out of the comic book and onto the, the runway of a fashion show. And Chris Anka <laughs> does the exact same <laughs> thing. The understanding of the fact that they are runaways so they don't have these unlimited budgets makes them feel so real. Yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, we got to talk about Weapon H because the idea of a Hulk Vereen. <laughs> It sounds like something we made up when we were kids, which yep. we probably did, mm-hmm. but it works so well. That book is so big and so bombastic. Greg Pak is just having a blast. You have great art, and we're Marvel. So there's a really great core of a heart to that title. Yeah. Where this sprung from, from Greg Pak's mind, I do not know. <laughs> it is a true Marvel origin story that adds depth and layer to the character. So if you're a Marvel, longtime Marvel reader, you go, wow, okay, this feels just like a Peter Parker or a Tony Stark to me. 
But then if you're just someone who wants to see kick butt action across 20 pages of a Marvel book, the characters who he's fought over the the first year of his existence has just been insane. Yeah, that's been so much fun. I wrote down Daredevil 600 because that was the beginning of Mayor Fisk, that storyline. But we're about to release Daredevil 612 and 600 came a couple like a month or two or three into the year put out so many issues of Daredevil and Charles's run has been so good and now we're ending with Phil Noto art and just it's been so good as the EIC when I came in here I started talking to all the different writers about what they wanted to do and where they saw the stories going having to sit down with Charles and realizing that his story was going to be coming to an end was not an easy thing for me. I was like, no, but it's so good. (laughs) And it's that classic Daredevil trope where the writer who's currently leaving the book comes up with the most difficult situation for the next writer to have to write themselves out of. And here Charles said, you know what? I'm doing the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) And he knew Chip was going to be coming in because, you know, I got the pleasure of working with editor Devin Lewis to, to bring on the next creative team. And Charles talked to Chip and said, here's where we're going to go. Good luck, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And Marco Coquetto moving from Old Man Hawkeye to Daredevil now. It's just awesome. Yeah. Oh, can't wait. Black Bolt finished earlier this year. Eisner Award winning Eisner Award. Saladin. Saladin and Christian Ward. Just on the shows, we often talk about an artist who handles all the disciplines in the art. the, The penciling, the inking, the coloring. All of that, Christian, he's a phenom, he's yeah. so good. And Saladin, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge champion. I love his work. It's the Inhumans. You know, they're known as the royal family, and Black Bolt is a part of that. But to take Black Bolt out of that family and put him on an adventure of his own was kind of daring and groundbreaking in its own right. To do it in a way that humanized him and kind of brought him to that level of cosmic awareness through the artwork. And then when Eisner Wars while doing it. I mean, it's a book that just shouldn't have worked, but clicked on every level. Every level. This year was the 30th anniversary of Venom. Before we even got to Donnie and Ryan and their wild story that they're telling, we had Venomized, Venomverse, so many cool things wrapping up. What is your history with Venom? Are you a big Venom guy? To be honest, I was not. Yeah. Just like you said, there's sometimes there's characters that click and sometimes there's don't. I was a Spider-Man guy. I was a Peter Parker guy and Eddie Brock and Venom. They fought my main man, so I didn't like him. <laughs> but um, understand and respect what the symbiote is and what the editors, Nick Lowe and Devin and everyone were trying to do was kind of, for the 30th anniversary, narrow it down, bring it back down, make it more understandable again, make it more real again. And we keep using the word human, but that's what the Marvel Universe is all about. Kind of humanize, not just, you know, Eddie and bring a consistency to all the people who wore the, the Venom suit before, but also humanize that black symbiotic creature you know what's its origin what motivates it all the stories i mean there was that plan that was building up through venomized and everything you know venom first host even you know to what donnie and and ryan started doing in venom so sometimes this stuff really is planned (laughs) and (laughs) we had the plan and i I think it worked out quite well for not just for the characters but also for the readers yeah Uh, This year we had tons of anniversary issues and we hit a lot of big milestones like Captain America 700, which was the end of uh, Mark Waid and and Chris Samney. I can't believe we hit 700 issues of Captain America this year. Unbelievable. Cap's just a character who's gone through the ringer, especially over the last few years. You know, he's not an easy character to write, but, you know, Mark and Chris put him back on that path as he traveled across America and tried to refine himself after Secret Empire. And they did such a great job 
living up to the America part of his name again, more mm -hmm. so than past runs really had, and bring him back to his roots as a man of the people and as a protector of the freedoms that we all enjoy. Yeah. We had Champions 19, which was Jim Zub's first issue, yeah. and we're going to be we're getting a new Champions number one. But Jim is one of those guys that is just like the most excited, the most ready to hype you up and get you reading his books. It's, yeah. He's just the guy. And Jim had a big shoes to fill on that book. Yeah. Mark and Umberto were on every single issue consistently before yeah. that. So they really set the tone for that book. Jim came in and instantly started creating new characters. Instantly turned the world on its head. Instantly put the book up in Canada, which was, it was his attention from the beginning. Of course. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, boundless energy. Jim is one of those guys where when you see him at a show, he doesn't walk to see you. He bounces to see you. And when you got to give him a call, you know you got to be ready because the energy is going to just pour through the phone. You need, you need an hour of your day to get off the phone with Jim because he's, he's just an idea machine, too. It just keeps coming at you. Yeah. I'm really glad Domino Number 1 started this year. It's really great to have Gail Simone back at Marvel. And for David Baldion to just have a book that he stretches his legs on. And man, he's great. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, I've known Gail for a long, long time. And going back to that list of creators that I wanted to work with when, you know, I, I came back, she was on that list. David Baldion's one of those guys who's just been bouncing around on different books, showing his worth. And now we've given him that spotlight to shine. Him and Gail have really been working magic on that book. And uh, they've got more coming. Yeah, can't wait. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite books, and one of the books that really got me back into comics right at the end of my college years was Exiles. Mm -hmm. Judd Winnick and Mike McCone. Then when you give me Saladin Ahmed and Javier Rodriguez, yeah. who pound for pound may be my favorite artist, them doing that at the return of Blink and these wonderful stories, like, thank you. Thank you and the editorial team, because Exiles is a treat and a delight. Exiles over the years has had so many different incarnations, and some of those best incarnations was when the book was fun. And that's exactly what those guys brought back, with those beautiful covers by David Marquez and just the cast of rotating characters that they put in there and the things that they wanted to toss out. Will Moss would come into the office, Sarah Brunstad, the editors, be like, look, Saladin has these ideas about what they want to do with these characters, and you're probably going to hate it, but don't say anything <laughs> until I finish the pitch. Then they would pitch. I was like, no, I love it. How could we not do that? It's awesome. And it transcended being just an X book to being a Marvel Universe book, which I think is where that book really should be living. Yeah. So much Wolverine stuff that we haven't even gotten to at this point yet. It starts with Hunt for Wolverine. Yep. We started with a one-shot for limited for series. For limited series, yeah. It was a great way to eventize bringing back one of our most important characters. I'm just so proud of what all the writers and all the artists contributed in that story, kind of like taking four threads and then sewing them into one final strand that led to <laughs> yeah. the drop of The Return of Wolverine. Yeah, it's cool. This year, not just across comics, but in our animation group, we had Marvel Rising, yeah. which was fun. The comics were so good. Yeah. So much fun. It was a blast. It was on our shows. It was often a pick of mine because it was just this is the most fun comic, and it brought together this great team. It worked so well. When the talent clicks, you can feel it. You know, Comics is about collaboration. And what Devin Grayson proposed, and then what the writers of the books, Ryan North on Squirrel Girl and G. Willow Wilson on Ms. Marvel, came in and proposed, it made perfect sense in that context. So not only was it an event, but it carried seamlessly through all the books, so it didn't even feel like one. I know. We had uh, Avengers Weekly, but then we relaunched Avengers with number one, Jason Aaron, Ed McGinnis, David Marquez... 
Paco Medina. Yeah, Justin Ponzer coloring it. I mean, such a great, fun, big book. There's that one cover I'm, I can't get out of my head, which is just the wackiest cover, but it's like those beautiful marble covers from when we were younger. Ghost Rider in the car, Robbie, driving, and then like Captain America and Thor hanging out the windows <laughs> in the back. It's like being chased by a celestial. It's yeah. like, what? <laughs> but, you know, Jason, again, much like Jerry with the big ideas that he brings, you know, celestials, eternals, that cosmic side, bringing it down to Earth reliving the, the kind of creation of the Marvel Universe and the birth of the superheroes and the 1 million BC <laughs> Avengers. You read it on paper and you go, oh man, this is insane stuff. How is anybody going to bring this together? But Jason can boil it down in his scripts and the way that McGinnis, I mean, who launched that stuff, was the perfect guy to do that. Yeah. And then the book continuing to what Dave Marquez is doing now with the Namor and the Defenders of the Deep stuff. Yeah. Hair stand up on my head every time I (laughs) see some of the stuff that happens in that book. Yeah. You mentioned Jerry, and of course we finished Jerry's run on Deadpool, Scott Coblish, and Mike Hawthorne, and just, I loved Deadpool, Mm -hmm. but I've never had my heart hurt so much from reading Deadpool than I did with Jerry's run. Yeah, and that last issue. (laughs) Oh, what a heartbreaker. Speaking of Deadpool, you know, whoever was going to pick up that torch and run with it had a huge responsibility. But before the book relaunched, we also had You Are Deadpool by Al Ewing and Salva Espin, which was a game in and of itself. Yeah. And I was just really blown away how, and I'm not a really big gamer, but how that book fits so seamlessly. And you could read it one way and then make different choices and go back and read it another way. Yeah, it was that was a lot of fun. Uh, we've talked a bit about Venom, but do you remember when you read the script, Donnie's script for Venom number one? Yeah. Or when you saw those first pages come in from Ryan, what was your reaction? Uh, I remember when the first cover came in and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be awesome. But again, the little birdie in the back of my head saying, ah, but it's Venom. Is it really going to be a story that I can relate to as a reader? You know, putting aside the editor-in-chief for me. And that's how I approach anything that we do here. I put everything aside and say, as a reader, as a fan, am I going to like this? And will it live up to my expectations of what it should be as a story about these characters? And that first script made me understand Eddie and the symbiote and the new kind of status quo that Ryan wanted to establish in that first script uh, as it carried through the outline, which I had also read, it, the, the pieces all came mm. together. Yeah, that's so good. Black Panther had a new number one. And yep. of everything that ta and all the artists worked on, building Wakanda and all the stories they're telling, just completely going in a different direction yep. with the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. So cool. And I remember being in the retreats, hearing Ta-Nehisi yep. like, say, okay, so it's going to be this. And you're just like, what? Yep. It goes to show you that what Marvel is is not just about superheroes. As long as you could take something and put our characters into that situation, you tell a story about anything. And here ta telling the best sci-fi story possible with the Black Panther, with Shuri, you know, with all those wonderful characters from Wakanda that have now been thrown into space in this crazy status quo that it's like, where are they going? I don't even know yeah. at the end. <laughs> but I'm along for the ride. Heck yeah. We talked a bit about all-new Wolverine, Tom Taylor, and Juan and the crew there. But that old woman Laura arc was so good. And then X-23, number one, and you talk about Someone have to pick up the reins after a really great run and Mariko just nailing it. Yeah, and I've always, one, I've loved stories that go into the future and give you a hint, then bring you back and leave you guessing, which is what he did with the old man Laura arc. And then 
the cuckoos. I mean, who doesn't love the cuckoos? Yeah. And the way that Mariko's taken them and kind of changed the status quo, just love what they did. And their interactions with Laura and Gabby have been yeah. hilarious. Yeah. One of the biggest milestones of the year, Amazing Spider-Man number 800 and then 801, the end of Dan Slott's time on, on Spider-Man 10 years, being part of that group, Red Goblin, Death of Flash, yep. just tremendous. Yeah, all the creative partners that Dan has had along for the ride become legends in their own right and the impact that they've had on that book and the stories that Dan had told. Yeah. And that final issue with just Umberto and Stewart, I mean, oh. my God, two consummate storytellers. Each has a unique style, but the way that Dan was able to weave those tales together in, 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 in the end of his run to bring to life not just Spider-Man and not just Peter, but every aspect of the 10 years that he's been building. How do you keep that in your head mm. and do it in a way that left everybody just emotionally drained because of the physicality of the battles that Peter went through and the, the, the emotionality. Emotionality, is that even a word? Yeah, let's say <laughs> of, it is. Uh, of uh, of the, the, the personal nature of his, all those relationships. Yeah. We had an Ant-Man and the Wasp series this year, Mark Wade and Javier Garon, which was just so much fun, and I think we're going to talk about Javier again. Yes. Because he is one of the most inventive and one of the sweetest artists yeah. we have in comics. Yeah, oh, without a doubt. And he's the artist, I think, more so than anyone else, who has grown more as an artist so apparently on every page and every project that he's done. We knew he was a superstar even back in the day, but he just continues to get better. And it blows my mind. And to be so nice about doing it. <laughs> yeah. uh, what a sweetheart. Another huge number one, Immortal Hulk, which yep. has blown me away. I was reading the most recent issue, and you know my wife. And I was like, oh, my God. I yeah. put it down. And she's like, what is it? What book is it? Immortal Hulk. And she's like, I've not read it. I was like, yeah, I haven't put it in your stack yet because you like to read them in, at once. And it's just such as it builds and builds and builds. Yeah. It's up there with Jason's stuff as my favorite month-to-month -month book, just every issue. It's funny that you associate that with Jason because sometimes there's those writers where you read their story and you just like, you get a little bit scared because you don't know what's going on in their head. <laughs> and Jason is one of those guys. Yeah. Al's always comes off and he's the big idea guy and kind of, you know, really fun with a lot of his stories. And you read an Immortal Hulk and you go, dude, where did he get those? That is so dark. Yeah. What corners of your own mind do you have to go into to come up with stuff like that? Especially, like I said, as it's continued to build. Those last couple issues that have come out, just nuts. Yeah. This is something I talked to Ricky about, Joe Bennett. Yeah. Joe's a great artist, been around for 20 years, however long he's been yeah. around. Mm -hmm. And he's always been good. This year, he's operating on a different level from almost anyone else far from anything I've ever seen before. Yep. He is absolutely incredible. Yeah, the choices that he's making from a horror angle and playing with the, the contrast of the blacks and the whites in his inks and then the way that the colors is going over and really creating that mood just continues to add to it. And again, it goes to just like the writer is pushing the penciler who's pushing the colorist. And that team is putting out one of the best books, I think, pound for pound that we're putting out right now. Agreed. Great book is Deadpool, number one, relaunched with Scotty, yep. Nick Klein, and Scott Hepburn. One of those guys that he comes in, he he nails a book. There's the, the sad Deadpool issue that came out like a, a couple weeks ago. Yep. Mm -hmm. And just the way Deadpool's shoulders slumped, yep. the way he drew his mask, him and Scotty working together is magic. To yeah, me. that whole team. And the thing that I love about it is that Jerry had such a long run on Deadpool. 
you know, built that character up to a place where the next writer was going to have a difficult time doing it. And Scotty came in and said, you know what? I want to do the opposite. I want to do these done-in-one kind of fun stories. And there's themes that run through them all. The character Good Knight, you know, that he mm-hmm. introduced is, is going to come back again and, and play a bigger part in Deadpool's life. But he's telling this tale where, you know, rather than the 2B continues and the very obvious threads that are connecting all the issues, he's doing these done-in-ones that are all slightly building towards this amazing story that he has to tell. Yeah. We had a Doctor Strange number one this year, which, you know, we had Doctor Strange Damnation. We had the end of Donnie's stuff and of yep. all kinds of different stories, the introduction to Bats. But Mark Wade coming in, again, a writer going in a different direction. Yep. And then Jesus Saiz. Oh. I can't even and handle it. Just like you said earlier about Joe Bennett, sometimes there's those artists who've been around for a long time, who've just been solid pencilers, constantly getting work, loved by the fans. And then they get the right script from the right writer with the right character. And it's just like... Boom, they just take off like a rocket. Oh, interesting analogy. <laughs> now that I'm talking about Doctor Strange because, yeah. again, Mark took him into space. Yeah. You know? uh, it's such a fun book. And the Forge, this idea of the Forge, which I, you know, being in the, in the retreats and watching people's wheels turn about yep. these things, it's so cool. But Thor, the logo, the team, Jason and Mike together, everything about it is so exciting. Yep. So good. It was another one of our big, quote-unquote, fresh start initiatives to really kind of bring Thor back, but in a different way from if we've seen him before, you know, the great arcs that Jason had done previously. And then here you got, it's more of a team-up book in many different ways. Even though the logo says Thor and it's heavy metal, he's lost his hammer. And to supplement Mjolnir, he's had to put together a team, you know, and he's got Loki, he's got Thori, who's become quite a popular Love character, Thor-y. and a rotating cast of different different people that are coming in and out of his life, including Hela in, in certain examples. And it's just that painted artwork. I mean, Mike Del Mundo, another one of our young guns, really making that jump from cover artist to some of the wonderful stuff he did on Electra to now mainstream Marvel book that people are just blown away by everything that he's doing on a monthly basis too. I know. He's he's a magician. Yes, he really is. The, one of the things that strikes me about Jason is, yes, he is writing these big sweeping epics. Yes, they're violent and intense or dramatic and devastating. They're also hilarious. Yep. Mm-hmm. He has got such a talent for comedy. And Mike is such a great person to deliver that yeah. in those issues. Ugh. So just the, the, the wedding issue with the twist oh. and with the Enchantress coming in. And Mike's really one of those guys who could draw anything, you know? The, the thing I loved about that one, too, it's like, I want to do a book about monster trucks. So he created a monster <laughs> truck that was like a truck <laughs> with parts of monsters. <laughs> oh, so fun. After that, there's all the X-Men wedding stuff that starts popping yep. up with the special. And then we had the issues in X-Men Gold. And Are we going to spoil it? I mean, again, reminder, listeners... This has all happened. You can yeah. read this on Marvel Unlimited or on your Marvel app or at your local comic shop. And this is another one that's been percolating for so long. I mean, Cullen and Mark Guggenheim, who have been writing Golden Blue from the beginning, three-year runs, great stuff. And the way they came in and played ball with the idea that we threw out there, Kitty and Colossus are getting married, but are they? <laughs> and the secrets we had to keep on those books from the covers, how we really didn't even let, you know, a lot of just the people inside know what was happening because we tried to keep it as quiet as possible. And it really almost paid off right until the end when we knew it was going to break. You know, we chose to be the ones to break the news a little bit early and people, for better or worse, <laughs> went ballistic. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a wedding. There was a wedding. Exactly. You no, know, we get, we, there was some payoff. Yeah. There's a great story in that with Rogue and Gambit and getting that book out of it. That is a payoff that's 
not quite as long, but it's been going on for 20 years now, 20 plus years. Yeah. And, you know, this is another one of those ideas that came out of what we were talking about earlier of encouraging creators to speak out at the retreats because pulling back the curtain here for fans, you know, something that happened in 2018, Kitty and Colossus were supposed to get married. That was the plan. We were in the room. We were talking about it and we we're moving on to the next topic. And it was Donny Cage who said, you know, guys, wait. What if, and he's the one who threw it out there, and we percolated on a while, and then we ran it by Mark Guggenheim. He's like, that would be absolutely amazing, but can we keep it secret? And we worked all the magic based on what idea worked. Creator just threw something out secondhand at a retreat. It changed the course of the X-Men publishing plan for six, seven, eight months at that point. And we'll be revisiting that wedding very soon. Ooh, 2019. Yeah. Spoilers, something coming up. There was a secret in that issue that we have never revealed. I don't even know this. This yeah. is good. Yeah. I love not knowing things. Mm-hmm. Up next, another big number one, Dan Slott. He finishes Silver Surfer. He finishes Spider-Man. And he goes off to pasture. No. He starts in on Iron Man. Not just one book, Fantastic Four. <laughs> two books, Iron Man. But yeah, I guess, well, I guess Iron Man was number one. Yeah. You know, it was someone, an idea that he had percolating in his head to tell these kind of different sci-fi, futuristic, tech-based stories around Iron Man with a different armor every issue. And, you know, he's been doing an amazing job with it. Those Alexander Lozano covers have been fantastic. Valerio Schiti on the, the, the art. I mean, could not be happier. A lot of the crux of so many of the Marvel books and the characters that we love are their romantic relationships. And Tony hasn't had one in a while. And Dan's like, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at Tony in his love life. Janet Van Dyne, who would have saw that coming? You I know, know. There's, there's a, a lot of a lot of love triangles still to be developing there. Oh, ooh, looking forward to that. I wasn't familiar with Alex Lozano's work yeah. until this year, I think. And he just came out of nowhere and he's like, amazing. Yep. I think he's been working with the games team. It's just wonderful stuff. Yeah, he comes from the world of design and illustration and he's been doing some covers for us kicking around and he, since he's worked on games, he's worked on Marvel Studio stuff, consumer products and now he's back on covers for us where he started. It's terrific. I put in here Multiple Man number one because I know you're an X-Men guy and this is the wildest Jamie story I think I've ever read. Yep. Matt Rosenberg, Andy McDonald, and it is just... I try to wrap my mind around it. It's a five-issue miniseries that started, but I think the title of the trade paperback that we're putting out says it all. It will all make sense in the end. <laughs> that is the name <laughs> of the trade paperback. And you you read it. it that really is what the story is. Oh, I love that. Uh, and it, it's wonderful to see Andy McDonald, who's such a talented detail penciler, back here at Marvel. And what him and, and Matt came up with, you know, all those different versions of Madrox, be it Doctor Strange or Cable or Wolverine. And it sounds weird now, listeners, but if you read it, it will all make sense. Yes. Yeah. And now as one complete story, that's yep. it's always nice to have. Yeah. Next book is a is one that I remember you and I were talking and you were just like, I had just read the script to this and it was so good. Century number one mm-hmm. came out early this summer. Jeff Lemire, Kim Jacinto, then Josh Kassara comes on. Yep. For me, I was like, okay, this is this is good. And then the last two issues, I was like, it like it cranked back. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a book that I'm still really immensely proud of the team and everything they put into it. I wasn't a big Sentry fan at all, to be honest with you. But that really made me feel for the character, not just for the Sentry, but also for the Void. Some of the concepts that he introduced in there were were really great. And Josh and Kim tag teaming on the art. None of us like splitting art on books, but life gets in the way sometimes. And artists are there to support each other. And, you know, the editors are there for support. And Kim had some some troubles he had to take care of. And Josh said, of course, I'm going to step up, help my artistic brother, put out the book that looks that we're all going to be proud of. And they really put together a, a great package that feel, felt really seamless visually. Yeah. And it has me charged for whenever we see the century next yeah. and whatever we see as the century. Really cool stuff. 
All right, we've got Astonishing X-Men, which I wanted to talk about because Charles Soule was doing this cool story, long, it was like 12 issues, different artists every issue, yeah. which is a really neat prospect. And then it transitions over to Matt Rosenberg with Greg Land, which is just so fun. When we talk to our artists, you ask them always, what do you want to draw? What do you want to draw? And of course, so many people say, someday I want to draw the X-Men. And there's only a limited number of X-Men books. So what we were trying to accomplish with Astonishing X-Men was let's do these series of one-shots in a connecting story, but artistic style different to each one that Charles will write to the strengths of each of the artists and kind of twist it all together over the first 12 issues of his arc. You know, the return of Professor Xavier. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you had guys like Ed McGinnis and Carlos Pacheco, like you're saying, Greg Land coming in at the end. There were so many different guys who brought their amazing styles to these different characters. And Charles weaved in and out different characters that they wanted to draw in each of the scripts. So everybody can say, like, yes, and now for once I've drawn the X-Men. And it gave the fans all those fanboy moments to see some of your favorite artists draw their favorite characters who might just happen to be your favorite characters. And Charles Xavier came back. So what more could you ask? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it, it's a lot of fun. And you know what? I will say by the end of the run, Matt and Greg do a great job of making people respect Dazzler. You yes. got to respect Dazzler. By the end of that, she shows how powerful she is. She's awesome. I like Dazzler. So. You know, and Matt kind of dug himself into a hole because what he's writing now on Uncanny X-Men, he took so many characters, he left himself a very limited cast for <laughs> Astonishing X-Men. He had, you know, Havoc and brought back Banshee and then had Dazzler. So it wasn't necessarily the quote-unquote A-listers, but he established a cast for himself that everybody loved, putting them in the spotlight. And... Matt never writes a story that isn't related to something else that he wants to do. So given what he was doing on New Mutants and now he did on Astonishing X-Men is all going to tie back to what he's going to be doing in Uncanny X-Men later next year. Ah, the Rosenberg verse. Yeah, exactly. All right, CB, I think what I'm looking at is that we've only touched on half the year. Quite a year so far. Right? <laughs> so good. But we should let this go on into a second episode and we'll kick off with the Star-Spangled Avenger Captain America, uh, and we'll, we'll join back up with that. Thank you once again, C.B. Sobolski. We'll pick this up again real soon. All right. Marvel 2018 to be continued. Big thanks to C.B. Sobolski. Honestly, you guys, you have, we were able to get C.B. to sit down for about two hours, which is mind-blowing because he's the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. He's a very busy man. I just I thank him. But... Before we go, we got to hit up a little bit of community stuff. First up, we got to hit your boy, Simon Williams. He says, Twim of the week for December 12th was Miles Morales, Spider-Man number one. Between this and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, it was a good week for Miles. Couldn't agree more, Simon. That was one of my favorite picks as well. And we've got one email in here from our boy, Mr. Jason Kim, who's over in Hawaii. He says, Dear Jamie and Ryan, aloha from Hawaii. I just want to wish you guys, your families, and the listeners a Merry Christmas, a Mele Kaliki Maka, and a Happy New Year. Uh, oh, man, Jason, I can't pronounce the rest of this. I, I would be embarrassed to try. Jason, you're the best, but I will not butcher the language here. And he says, And mahalo for all your hard work doing the podcast, live streaming, conventions, all that stuff, all of it from this past year. Uh, Tech Lord, Lex Pendragon, so he's following up on a conversation we had last week. We were talking about warped characters uh, in light of Infinity Wars and Infinity Warps. And he says, spinning off of Agent M's Thangpin, I was tempted to put Kingpin with Reed Richards for Mr. Wilson. But he is already warped, so what about Danny Rand to become the indictable 
Iron Fisk. I, my brain just broke with that one. Well done, Lex. Uh, all right, so I have to pick up the game. Uh, to do somebody with either Iron Fist or Wilson Fisk. Uh, I've already chose Kingpin, so i got to do Iron Fist and... <laughs> We're going to go with Iron Iron as a suggestion by our brilliant producer. Uh, I cannot top that. It is too good. It is Iron Fist and Iron Lad. I'm choosing Iron Lad. Not just Iron Man, but Iron Lad. So you're going to have to come up with something based off of that, Tech Lord. And finally, Karis Pollard says, an utter surprise for her This Week in Marvel of the Week. We only started reading Black Order because Nova turns up in issue three, but we love it and the deep look into the Order's heads. Thank you for the unexpected awesome. You are welcome, as always, Karis. I am so glad you like that book. It is so good and weird and fun. It is a utter delight as was putting this episode together remember next week we have one more end of the year podcast with mr cb sobolski so stick around we'll be back with that next week i'm ryan and this is marvel your universe <laughs>